Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So by adding this convenient and hate thine enemies, the teachers made a way for them to hate those who hate the enemies, that they controlled the definition of the enemy. So to put hate thine enemy on the same level as love thy neighbor, to the people it sounds like it's a duty for me to love my neighbor, it's spoken of the same context, it's a duty for me to hate my enemy, I must hate my enemy. So this is the misleading that taught the people to love their neighbor, they taught the people to love, love their neighbor who, for the most part, they did interpret neighbor to be their own, their own people. In other words, fellow Jews, the term neighbor did not apply to the goyim who were not Jewish. And for example, it certainly didn't apply to the Romans. They were taught that the Romans were not their neighbors that they were to love, that the Romans were their enemies who had conquered their land, forced them into submission. The people were taught to hate the Romans because the Romans also were not Jewish. The Romans were their enemies. And so while the people are being taught to hate those who were their enemies and not Jewish, the law was saying just the opposite. Moses said just the opposite in Deuteronomy 23.7. Deuteronomy 23.7, Moses says, Thou shalt not abhor an Edomite, for he is thy brother. Thou shalt not abhor an Egyptian because thou wast a stranger in his land. He says, thou shalt not abhor an Edomite because he's thy brother. I tell you that when you go to Israel, you have a hard time telling the difference between Arabs and Jews. It's not easy. And not just in their appearance, but in their mannerisms and the way they act, they really are brothers. They really are. Nobody likes to talk about that, but it's very obvious. Now, if it was Chinese, okay, it'd be easy to tell the difference, but they're not. they're not, anyway. So who are the people that they're taught to love and are tied up in this neighbor? Because this is the question, and you know, people weren't stupid, they knew this, they knew that, you know, it's very fluid, who is the neighbor, who is the neighbor, you know, who is the neighbor? And so this came to a head in Luke 10, 25, in Luke 10, 25, when again a lawyer, behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, Luke 10, 25, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, what's written in the law? How readest thou? He answering said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. He said unto him, that's answered right. This do, thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side, and likewise a Levi, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. 
But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I'll repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said unto him, go and do thou likewise. So again, here's another lawyer. He has confronted the Lord Jesus. Again, the lawyer is not sincere. He's not honest because it says specifically that this lawyer was tempting the Lord Jesus. He's trying to trap him, trying to get him to say something they can hold against him. When he said in Luke 10, 25, Luke 10, 25, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord asked him, what's written in the law? And the, the lawyer probably knew that the Lord had had confrontation with this other lawyer and he probably knew that the Lord had said on the Bible or hanging, everything in the Bible is hanging on these two commandments to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So he answers that way. And then the Lord says, right, do that and you live. But the man knew that, that the term neighbor was fluid. And he knew that what the scribes and the Pharisees defined as neighbors was the Jewish people and not the non-Jewish people. So this lawyer wanted confirmation that he was good to just love the Jewish people. So he asked him in verse 29, Luke 10, 29, who is my neighbor? And the Lord answered this question with this certain history. Now what's important to see about how the Lord answered this, this was a history. This was not a parable. This was a true history. This really happened to this man who, there really was a Jewish man from Jerusalem was traveling down the hill to go to Jericho. And this Jewish man really was attacked by thieves, and really he was left half dead. And there really was a Jewish priest who saw him half dead and just went over to the other side of the road, avoiding getting close to him. And there really was a Jewish Levite who saw him and also avoided him. And there really was a non-Jewish hated Samaritan who saw him and went to him and dressed his wounds and brought him to an inn and took care of him and promised to pay the innkeeper anything more of expenses for taking care of him. And when the Jewish lawyer confessed that the Samaritan was the true neighbor to the Jewish man who was attacked, that cut right across the teachings of the Pharisees and the scribes. This Samaritan was not a convert to Judaism, There's, it's not said anything like that. He wasn't a proselyte, he wasn't a convert, he was a Samaritan, he remained a Samaritan. So, this is very important. Now, this sets up, when you come back to Matthew 5, verse 44, with the words, but I say unto you, in other words, when he says that, whenever the Lord says that, but I say unto you, it's like the light is turned on in the room. A wonderful light dispels the darkness of hate thine enemies. And so he says that, he says that, but I say unto you. Now, he now goes to describe the enemies. And what's interesting about the enemies that he's describing here, these aren't just passive enemies. They're just like, oh yeah, he doesn't like me. These are active enemies who are cursing and hating and abusing. That's the way he describes them. Now, he says, in order to do this, not hate your enemy, to love your enemies, Something has to be addressed, and that's this, what the Bible calls the root of bitterness against the enemies. The root of bitterness, which uh, Hebrews 12, 15 says, looking diligently, 
lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and there might be defiled. Now we all know there's two ways to deal with weeds. There's the easy way and the hard way. <laughs> and the easy way is the weed whacker that you get at Home Depot or whatever. And you cut them down and you say, oh, that's great, you know, there they are. But they grow up again. And unless you go after the hard way, and by the way, my wife banned the weed whacker from our house. Instead, she had these little tools you dig in. And it's to dig up the root of the weed. Now, bitterness is represented in Hebrews 12, 15 as a root, a root that has to be dug up. This is what's kind of underlying that has to be done if verse 44 is gonna be, gonna be taken seriously. And 44 about blessing your enemies and, and praying for those and hate you and, and doing good and so forth. Now, it's really easy when you come to a verse like Matthew 5.44, Matthew 5.44, it's really easy to not park on this verse. It's really easy to just keep on drive by because this is really radical what the Lord is calling to do in verse 44. He's calling, it's radical, because he's saying, first of all, identify those who are cursing you. Well, that's really not hard to do, but anyway. And then, bless them, that is hard to do. And then he's saying, identify those that hate you. And then he says, do good to them. And then he's saying, identify those who are abusing you, who are despitefully using you and persecuting you. And he says, pray for them. Now, these are commands, these are not like, I suggest you do this, or you might want to try this. No, these are commands that the Lord is giving in verse 44. I mean, just think about what is the Lord calling each of us to do personally here? What's he calling us? In a sense, he's really calling each of us to make three lists, three pieces of paper, three lists, and on the list to have two columns on each list. And the first list has the title over the top, Those That Hate Me. <laughs> okay, and the first column is you put the list of the names of the person that hates you. And then the second column is entitled, how I'm going to bless them. How I'm gonna bless this one, and this one, and this one, and this one. Okay, that's one list. And then the second list has the title. Now the second one, the second list, is the one I just talked about. Those that hate you, and that's the list where you put down specifically how you're going to do good to those that, that hate you. And now the third list is those that abuse me, those that despitefully use me and persecute me, those that abuse me. And so again, two columns. So the first column is the names of those who are abusing you, who are taking advantage of you and persecuting you. And then the second column is what specifically you're going to pray for for each one of those persons. Now, that's not easy to do. I mean, you think of what this is basically doing is that it's helping those who are cursing us and hating us and abusing us. And the first response that we have when you hear something like this is, I don't want to. That's all. <laughs> it's real simple, you know. So what we need in order to do this is the want to. And the question is, where are we gonna find the want to I mean, what's gonna motivate us to want to help these enemies who are hating us, cursing us, and, and abusing us? And you think about that. You know, where am I gonna get the want to? I don't want to. I get ah, this is exactly what the Lord Jesus does next. He gives us the motivation to want to help our enemies in the next verse, in verse 45, when he says that ye may be the children 
of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. So the want to comes from the want to be the children of God the Father who want to copy God the Father. They want to be like God the Father. So what he's saying here is that the motivation to want to help our enemies is not gonna come from within you, don't bother. It's not gonna come within you. It's not gonna come from you looking at yourself and says, well, come on now. You wanna be a good person, don't you? And so you wanna help your enemies, don't you? And then, of course, you know, if you're honest, you say, no, I don't, because that's not gonna work. That's not gonna make the cut. That's not gonna cut it. But what he's saying here is that instead of looking within for the motivation, you have to look without. You have to look at God the Father. You have to worship God the Father. You have to wanna copy God the Father. You have to want to be like God the Father. And that means study him. Study God the Father to see what he does. And now he gives us two actions of God the Father that the Lord points us to, and the two actions have to do with the sun and the rain. So, the Lord is calling us first to see the sun and the rain in a radically different way from what is commonly thought of for the sun and the rain. This radically different way that we're to see about the sun comes from one word that the Lord used about the sun. That word has the power to change our understanding of the sun in a totally radically different way. And that word has the power to give us the want to help our enemies. And that word is found in verse 45, that you may be the children of your father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. Does anyone know what that one word is? What's the one word in verse 45 that has the power to change our view of the sun? The one word about the sun, S-U-N. There's only so many words there, yes. It's his sun. That great ball of nuclear fission is his sun. It's God's sun. Scientists are clueless as to how that great ball of nuclear fission came to be in existence. Oh, they say that it happened at a time when there was nothing, and during that time when there was nothing, nothing exploded. That makes a lot of sense. In a big bang. And the sun came out of that big bang, which is just another way of saying they're clueless. But the Bible's not clueless as to where the sun came from, because it says in Genesis 1.14, Genesis 1.14, God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven, divide the day from the night, and let there be signs for seasons, for days, for years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. That's the sun and the moon. He made the stars also, stars are an also. God made the sun, that's why the Lord Jesus called the sun his sun. The Lord Jesus wants us to see What God the Father does with his son, S-U-N, is totally his decision. And so you visualize God the Father is looking down on the earth and he's seeing this good person who loves God, this person who's been saved by God, he's had his sins forgiven, and God the Father is deciding, okay, I will make my son, S-U-N, to rise on that good saved person there. That's what I'm gonna do. And then to see God the Father looking down on a bad person. He hates God. He's maybe killing believers like Adolf Hitler. And then to see God deciding, okay, I will make my son, S-U-N, to also rise on that really bad person down there. 
And this is the point that God does good to his enemies. God loves his enemies because he makes his son, S-U-N, to rise on his enemies also. Now, just as there was one word that radically changes how the son is viewed, S-U-N, there's another word, there's one word that radically changes how rain is viewed. And that word has the power again to give us the want to, to do good to our enemies. And that word about the rain is found in verse 45 again, of Matthew 5, 45. And he sendeth the rain on the just and on the unjust. What's that word? Sandeth. Sandeth, right, okay, sendeth. Rain is not just part of the cycle of water, haphazardly falling wherever it wants. Rain is sent by God the Father. And this is what's stated in Isaiah 55.10, Isaiah 55.10, where it says, for as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. It shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So the rain, the snow, the Bible are all sent by God for a purpose. The rain and the snow are both sent by God to water the earth and to make the plants grow and to bear fruit. The word of God is also sent by God to convert the lost, to strengthen the saved. So again, the Lord Jesus, he wants us to visualize God the Father as again, looking down on the crops of a saved believer, a good person who loves God, and God's making this decision and saying, I will send my rain down to water that believer's ground, his crops. And then God the Father, he wants us to understand and to see and wants to visualize God the Father looking down and seeing the crops of a person who hates God, of a person who is pointing little children away from God. And God the Father, he wants us to see God the Father says, you know what, I will also send my rain down to water that rebel's ground, that rebel's crops. And he wants us to meditate on these things and meditate on how God the Father sends his son to rise and his rain to water, to help his enemies, God's enemies. And that's how we're to find the want to that's needed for us to want to help our enemies. Now, there's one more word in verse 46 that the Lord Jesus used also to give us the power to want to help our enemies. In verse 46, see if you guessed the word. Verse 46, for if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. What word is that? It's reward. It's reward. If you love them or love you, what reward have you? There's a reward that God is gonna give to those who help their enemies. You know, rewards are not really spoken of very much. Uh, they're, they're not spoken of very often, they're, but they're real. Rewards are real, and the Lord wants us to think about those rewards, rewards for obeying God. The reward, for example, that the Lord said he has in Revelation 22.12, Revelation 22.12, when he says, behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. In Isaiah 40, verse 10, Isaiah 40, verse 10, it says, Behold, the Lord God will come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule with him. Behold, his reward is with him in his work before him. There are rewards for bringing the gospel to the lost. Did you know that? There's a reward for bringing the gospel to the lost. It says in 1 Corinthians 3, 8, 1 Corinthians 3, 8, you should all be flooding to the CEF booth at the fair now. Afterward, there's still time till July 4th. But anyway, there's rewards because it says in 1 Corinthians 3.8, 1 Corinthians 3.8, now he that planteth 
and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. I mean, there are rewards for building a life on the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in 1 Corinthians 3.14, 1 Corinthians 3.14, if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. There are rewards for using what God has given to us in our lives for him. This is the whole point about the talents in Matthew 25, 20, Matthew 25, 20, when he says, and so he that had received five talents came and brought the other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. That's rewards. Here we're to do these things to help our enemies and blessing those that curse us and so forth, also with a focus on the rewards. Now, he mentioned here that for those who are abusing and despitefully using and persecuting, that we are to pray for that person. Now, when we genuinely pray for a person, you get involved in their lives. I mean, I know there's ways to say, Lord, bless him. But there's another way to pray, and that is to really get involved in their lives, study their lives. You can't help it. You study them, you think about their needs, you engage your heart in a real intense prayer for them. You can't hate a person if you genuinely are praying for that person. As a matter of fact, this is a therapy for hatred, to pray for a person It forces you to think about their needs and pray that God would meet those needs. Don't be like the prophet in Nineveh, you know, Jonah. He said, I don't like what you did and I'm gonna sit under this gourd and just sulk about it, you know? (laughs) It'll be like that. So what prayer does for an enemy, it makes the fires go out inside. It makes it possible to meet evil with blessings. Praying for an enemy breaks the power that the enemy has over us. Well, what do you mean? Well, when an enemy mistreats us, curses us, or hates us, and we become angry, the enemy is controlling us with his power to make us angry. But when we pray for that enemy, then that enemy loses his power to make us angry. So now the Lord says that we should do this also to be like our Father in heaven in verse 45, and that's like the highest motivation that should obey his commandments. And again, he focuses now. The end of this chapter here in verse 46 and 47 He says something here, don't the publicans do this? Don't the publicans love their own? Don't the publicans honor? Now, when he says this, he's not criticizing the dishonest tax collectors. He's just focusing to see that, yeah, in their homes, they love each other, and among their own, they honor each other. And so if you're gonna step up to the plate and be like God, you gotta do more than that, more than that. And then he finishes up in verse 48, he says, be therefore perfect, even as your Father is in heaven and perfect. Now, we read something like that, he said, what's he saying here? That we should be sinless like God? That's not gonna happen. No, perfect in the sense of entire, especially as this word is used in Hebrew, a whole or consistent. In other words, when you say be perfect, he says, be consistent. Don't have two different lives. Don't have a life in church and a life outside of church. Be consistent is what he's saying here. Okay, so these are wonderful advices that he gives us here, not advices, wonderful commandments that he gives us here as he moves on. And next week, we're gonna be continuing in as he strips away the error and rebuilds the effect that God originally intended for his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for taking the time to write all these things for us, Lord, that we can benefit from them. Help us, Lord, 
help us sincerely, really to not push in the back of our minds those that hate us, but really to bring them out in the foreground of our, of our minds and decide to really do something with regard to blessing and doing good and praying. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 